For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When we talked to Jefferson White, Jefferson White said his craziest fan theory he ever heard was that Casey was really dead to start season four. Yes. And he's yes. like, oh, that theory was crazy. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Whoever had that theory was it just must have been nutso. As season four of Yellowstone draws to a close, there are more questions than answers about who attacked the Duttons and why, and what's to come for most of the key characters. This season has been a slow boil, but with John and Jamie set to square off and a key character being killed off the show, that slow boil looks to be spilling over. How much will we find out before the end of season four? I'm Addison Hager, and that's one of the key topics of today's episode of Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone 1883 podcast. Yes, there is a spoiler about who died in episode 8 and why he or she needed to die, but the key scenes involving Rip, Beth, and Casey will get a deep dive as well. For example, what's up with Casey and all the wolves? And whose side is Beth really on? A scene involving the cast of 1883 began this episode, and Billy Dukes and I will try to better explain that action before digging into the modern Dutton family drama. This is your source for the breakdowns and cast interviews, and more of both are coming. In fact, on Friday, we promise an interview with Cole Hauser and Piper Parabo, so if you've not yet tapped follow, please do it now so you don't miss their insights into the characters of Rip and Summer and their roles in Season 4. Also, leave a rating and review and let a friend know about the podcast. And email staff at tasteofcountry.com with your questions, reactions, and theories. The crazier, the better. Every response comes from either myself or Billy Dukes, who is going to join us right now. Hello, Addison! Hello, Billy. You're pretty chipper for an episode that ended pretty, pretty dang dark. It's amazing. I keep thinking we're going to be getting more answers than new questions, Mm -hmm. because we just have two episodes left, but I feel like we have a whole bunch of new questions to still be answered in, like, 90 minutes of television. (laughs) Uh, Well, completely agree, but I will say... The question for me that has been answered, and you know I'm a Team Faith Hill fan with Margaret Dutton. Personally, I think that she's killing it. But my question has been answered that she's just really stepping up to the plate and didn't know that beforehand. But I want to know your personal opinion because I know you've been a little iffy of, I know you've been full send for Tim McGraw and his character, but... Faith, now the scene that they opened up with, with her talking to her boys and just seeing them, you know, she's reprimanding them for the type of prayer that they had and that they were joking about it. And you just see a different side to her. Um, What were your thoughts on this scene? Well, first, a little bit of a production note here. If my audio sounds different to everyone, it's uh, because I am in northern Michigan at my father-in-law's house and I forgot my microphone back in my Tennessee studio. Mm -hmm. So, a little bit of a different recording situation. I apologize for that, but it's a one time only. As for Faith, I thought that was her best scene to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, really believable there at the dinner table with her boys. Um, you know, it felt real. 
felt sincere. I thought she was really strong there just in that sort of short moment. And then at the end of that scene, when a, a bloodied James Dutton comes back to the house, she reacts like you would kind of expect. And yeah, I mean, I'm slowly coming to the Team Faith side. I, I think she's really, she's really meeting the bar that was set and early on already exceeding it. Yeah, completely agree. And I will say in that scene, just a tangent real quick, where was Elsa? This is interesting because I had a conversation with Sterling Whitaker about this as well, and he's on the podcast quite a bit. And he asked me that. But don't forget, the very first thing, and now if people haven't watched 1883, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but not really. But 1883, the series, what's the first scene? Right out of the gate, the first thing we see that happens to Elsa. Well, she dies. Right? She... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Why are you asking me where Elsa is? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, she, I, she did. I thought that was... I mean, we think she dies. Okay, I guess that's true. I, I thought that that scene would be farther along, and the scene that they played on episode eight was before that. But I, okay, I see what you're saying, that that could be a potential. I'm led to believe, based on the chronology, because, okay, so stick with me here. <laughs> the two kids at the dinner table, one's a teenager, one's like eight, nine years old. Right. The teenager is the five-year-old, so we're uh... ten years later down the line yes okay now we don't know that elsa dies we just know that she takes an arrow through the gut she could kind of survive that somehow maybe the other possibility is by this point elsa would have been like 27 years old she might be married off and raising your own family like she likely wouldn't be at the dutton dinner table at this point in your life that's true okay never mind then i did i just noticed that and but that completely makes sense of the age there and so not to panic not to panic yet. No need. Yeah. Well, hold, hold on one second, because a few things did happen there in that scene that I think are important, more so to 1883 than Yellowstone. Like, I don't know how this scene is going to affect Yellowstone. Earlier in season four, we had that scene from 1883 that actually moved the plot of Yellowstone forward. This one seems to be just kind of plugged in as almost like a preview for 1883. But Tim McGraw's character, James Dutton, seems to die in this scene, mm-hmm. um, which is something sort of... That's interesting. But you also learn that he had two sons, John Sr. and a a young boy named Spencer. Um, And there was a great reference. And if you watch, if you watched all four seasons of Yellowstone, you would have picked up on this. He hung those guys and pinned a sign to them, just like John Dutton and Rip did Mm -hmm. to end season, uh, somewhere deep in season two. They hung a couple of men up outside of Malcolm Beck's door and put a sign to them that basically said, Return to Sender. I thought there was a kind of a cool parallel to be drawn there. Like, different year, same trick, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And there that that line came in again where he said, I don't care if you live or die, tell them about me. And then he dies. (laughs) James Dutton dies. And then he dies. (laughs) Bummer. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, kind of moving on to uh, Yellowstone, this last episode. My favorite scene by far 
far mm-hmm. and cringiest. I mean, the entire time I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man, this slow moving car crash was the one with John, the dinner table, Beth, Rip, and Carter, which I would love for you to just give fans, yeah. before we dive into that awkward moment, give fans a little bit of a catch up to who Carter is. His story's been a little bit stop and start throughout season four, so I think maybe some people might have forgotten Carter's origin story. Totally agree with you, by the way, that that scene was awkward and kind of, it was really long and not much happened, but it was still kind of amazing to watch. But Carter uh, came to the Yellowstone Ranch after meeting Beth, kind of by happenstance at the hospital. Um, Beth was caring for her father, who was in a coma at the time. Carter's father, as it turns out, was also in a coma. He had overdosed. Uh, he was dying, and Carter knew that, and, and Beth kind of helped console him a little bit, and she saw a little bit of herself in Carter at the time. So they just kind of made a friendship. He didn't come to the ranch, and I don't think until two episodes later, when the sheriff, Donnie Haskell, brings him to the ranch because Carter says that Beth is a friend of hers or a relative of hers, so they agree to take him in. From there, it's been a little bit hit and miss. Um, he really did Beth wrong, had to make a good tour, which he did last week. Uh, Rip at first hated him and thought he was a thief, and then he started to see a little bit of himself in him, so he agreed to at least keep the kid around for a while, and now they seem to kind of be at a point where they are a, a quasi-family union, although I use the word family really, really loosely. Really loosely, but that's kind of a little bit why, you know, during this dinner scene, to and kind of to paint the picture of why it was awkward, it's just funny scene, you know, it's very elaborate. And that's what ends up kind of unhinging Beth because she's like, this is not normal for our family. And you're trying to, you know, dad's trying to paint this picture that's not. And I'm losing my mind because this is not normal. What are we doing here? Um, But it's funny scene. Clearly Rip is out of place. I mean, from the point where he goes to sit down, kind of looks at John of like, do is this where I take off my cowboy hat? Do I put it on the table? What do I do here? I mean, fish out of water, where normally we don't see Rip in a fish out of water situation. He, you know, commands the attention. He knows what he's doing. And this is a scene that's fun to see because he doesn't know what he's doing. And it kind of rattles him a little bit. And I also love seeing Carter, who looks like he hadn't taken a bath in years, is all polished up, you know, hair looks like it was yeah. combed, he looked like he took a bath. But for me personally, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, what I loved about this scene, even though, yes, it is so drawn out, and it's one of those just the entire time I was gripping the table going, okay, like, when are we done? When are we done? But when Beth goes off, she kind of, she you know, she loses it. She's like, this is stupid, ridiculous, what the heck is happening? She goes off, Rip follows her. What I love when they come back, back and they end up you know going into a different room that's more casual um and he says to her uh where he said life is plenty hard to beth that moment for me was one of these things that solidified how good rip is for beth that he kind of calms the fireballness of her and i think that scene specifically even though it was drawn out it really solidified me of like this is why they are good for each other. You see a little bit of why women love Rip so much in that scene as well. Yeah. Like he is, he he can calm Beth down and kind of take control of this woman who is in a lot of ways crazy, but he can, he can sort of tame her. And I think there's something uh, attractive about that. 
Uh, I heard a, a great interview with Cole Hauser and Kelly Riley. I was actually listening to um, Jefferson White's podcast, the official Yellowstone podcast, and he was talking to both of them. And, and Cole revealed that the character of Beth reminds him of his sisters. Huh. And so everything that Beth does, like he, the actor, thinks is kind of funny. Like he's really familiar with it. So he's almost like super well suited for the role of sort of this Beth Dutton emotional caretaker kind of role. Huh. I liked that scene a lot as well. And they end up at the little small table, which is like, I don't know what room that is. There's, is that the, like the family room? There's like a little small dinner table? Yeah, it, it almost reminded me of like a little game table in a family room. Something where, you know, meals aren't necessarily had, but it's a s- smaller yeah. circular table. Poor Gator had to bring his whole dinner spread off to this whole other table. <laughs> the dude. <laughs> dude. <laughs> like, there's all this drama going on. He's like, I'm just trying to cook dinner. Right. Dang right. it, Beth. You ruined another right. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last one was her having him make wheatgrass for Summer. Well, let's let's go there next because Summer and Beth have an alliance now. They seem to be both working against Markwood Equities in sort of this covert way. And um, uh, Summer leads a protest right at the airport, and mm-hmm. Beth helps make sure the media is actually on hand to see them all get arrested kind of violently. And in doing so, she plays uh, Markwood Equities pretty bad because Markwood Equities thinks that she's going to kick the media out, mm-hmm. um, and they end up being there. So it, it's a really bad look for Markwood Equities. Do you think that Beth and Summer are true allies, or do you think that Beth is setting up Summer for some sort of... Um, as some sort of revenge because she hooked up with her dad. You know, I want to wish and hope for the best for their relationship. Beth has not consistently proven to keep her word like that. And so, you know, when I saw Summer being carted off at the end when the SWAT team comes in, and I have to say, I kind of thought, well, good luck out there. Like, I, I don't... You know, Beth kind of got what she needed for right now. So I just, I don't personally see, I don't know. They, I mean, they could really surprise me, but I, I don't know if that's going to be a forever alliance. What are your thoughts? It does seem that if Beth doesn't follow through on that, then Summer becomes sort of this loose end that could kind of out Beth's real plans. So maybe True. selfishly, Beth may need to stick with Summer through this. Yeah, because essentially Summer would have blackmail on Beth. Yeah, she'd have leverage on the situation. And I don't think the Markwood Equities team has figured it out yet. They kind of zoom in on uh, Carolyn Warner, and she doesn't kind of look like she knows who had just sort of gotten her. Like, it's not clear that she knows what's up quite yet. Uh, But I I think she's going to figure it out here before the season's end. There's a lot of things that need to happen before the season ends. <laughs> there is so much that needs to happen. Like, I mean, you're listening to Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone 1883 podcast. I'm Addison Hager, and this week we said goodbye to a major character on Yellowstone. It was a death we should have seen coming, and in a moment, Billy will explain why. Quick reminder to tap follow and leave a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcast and to email us at staff at tasteofcountry.com with questions and your own analysis. Okay, so like let's let's break it down. Let's rattle it off. Okay. Um we have a we have a governor's race coming mm-hmm. imminent. Now that I feel could bleed into season five somehow. I, I don't expect a resolution there. We have what's happening at the airport. 
which I think will resolve this season. And also with that being said, Summer and Beth's relationship. I, I still feel like there's some unhinged drama within the bunkhouse that, like, I don't feel totally settled with the Lloyd situation quite yet. Which we haven't. This uh, Episode 8 was kind of the first episode that we didn't really touch on them. Yeah, we didn't see anybody from the bunkhouse this episode. nice. And once again, we barely saw anybody from the reservation. Or Mo was in a phone call. But I feel like there's much more to come from that plot line. Uh, in this episode, we also learned that John still thinks our buddy Riggins... Oh, poor guy. <laughs> ...is the one who tried <sighs> to kill him. If only he knew. So, so has, I can't figure <laughs> this out. Casey asked Jamie to look into this. Yes. He never followed up. Like a phone call or a text like, hey, by the way, how's life? Good, good. You know, oh yeah, by the way, my, my wife's pregnant again. <laughs> oh, Jamie's like, oh, by the way, I have a son now. Like, they never had that sort of catch up. And like, oh, did you uh, did you talk to that one guy? I mean, it's no big deal. I mean, maybe if you get to it if you got time. We're just, you know, trying to figure out who wanted who to kill us Dad? all. If you could, <laughs> like that, now that call. Yeah, that never happened. Like, to, and I can't figure out. Why? Like, Jamie's, Casey's kind of dropping the ball a little bit there on the follow-up. Oh, that is true. Almost like, oh, okay, well, didn't really hear from him. I'm going to go wor- worry about the wolves on my property. Right, yeah. Well, we're going to get to a big spoiler here. So, if you've not watched the episode, there is a key character who dies in episode 8 of season 4, and we're going to talk about that next, because there is a theory that Casey could become the new sheriff. If even on a temporary basis. Okay. Because he is the livestock commissioner. And as we've learned in, or to end episode eight, uh, Sheriff Donnie Haskell is the one who is killed at the very end of the episode. A really key character throughout four seasons of this show. And Billy, I have some thoughts on his death, if you're ready to dive into that. Yeah, it was pretty pivotal. Um, and, And there's a lot of ways this can go. What do you see happening? Well, really, I kind of feel like Donnie's death potentially pivots John's run and plan for governor. And the reason why I think that is, number one, him going in, guns blazing, not waiting for any type of, you know, authorities to kind of help back him up. That might not be beneficial for him. They may see that as he was reckless, um, all the above, because it, aside from Donnie, it seems like other civilians were killed in the gunfire. We don't know that necessarily for certain, um, but the way that the, you know, it's edited and stuff, it, in, in my opinion, it looks like that. And so, you know, seeing his behavior of how he handled that, I think could be a negative, um, along with, I think having this now be c- covered by the news, this almost could be Jamie's leverage to use this publicity of his father that is potentially a negative. This is his Jamie's chance to pull any skeletons out of the closet and also make news because his dad's already, um, you know, in the spotlight. I, I see that potentially going poorly for him. And then in addition, this is more of Rip, but Rip is attached to John. Rip doesn't have any identification. If you remember, that's why him and Beth can't get married at a courthouse because he has no ID. Well, if he gets questioned by police, you know, even right. to have a statement or anything like that, he doesn't have any identification, which I think is going to be a major red flag and potentially publicized and talked about. So 
it could be bad news that reflects on John. So I think that this is nothing but a potential negative towards John's running that I think might work in Jamie's favor. It could be a real hornet's nest, you're right. They could also play it like John Dutton is the hero, though. Like, he is the one who saved all these diners from these right. from this robbery. First of all, the robbery, I don't think, is connected at all to the attacks. That looked like a classic, like, those guys look like meth heads. They I were agree. just looking for money. I didn't think that was connected. But I agree. they could paint him, you know, spin that as he's a hero in this, and John could come out looking good, too. That's true. I can also get on that. I'm going to stay in my lane over here with my theories, but we'll see who's correct. Well, you know, the interesting thing with Rip is this isn't the first time he's kind of gotten himself jammed up with the law. And the last time I can think of actually involved the sheriff. This is back in, um, I believe, season one, maybe season two. Rip shoots a bear and he's trying to save a couple of tourists as well as rid the Yellowstone Ranch of this bear that's been kind of wreaking havoc. And at, because he, he shot a bear, it brings in the federal wildlife, and he's he has to deal with a couple of legit agents, one of whom gets um, really injured really badly. Uh, they're riding horses together, and her horse goes crazy, and she ends up kind of getting speared by a fence, but Rick, Rip sticks with her and kind of treats her and makes sure she gets the help she needs, and they bring in another agent. Nowhere along the way, at that point, did anybody, like, ask Rip for his ID or try to take his name or anything. The sheriff was in charge of that investigation on the local level. And the degree to which he knows of who Rip really is never was clear. Mm -hmm. um, but even he didn't ask, like, uh, you know, hey, who is this guy? Where did he come from? What's your real name? Um, or, or anything like that. It, so they might kind of gloss over that, but... But maybe not. Like, I feel eventually that plot line is either going to come up as a, a, a an assist or a hindrance to what Rip's trying to accomplish. Yeah. We, we need to talk about one thing really quick is, is the reason why the sheriff had to die. Like, there was a real-world reason why Donnie Haskell had to leave the show. He was a good character. Um, he was on all four seasons. He was usually a friend of the Duttons, sometimes a foe. Uh, but he is the one who brought Carter to the ranch, as I mentioned. He helped the Duttons attack the, Beth, uh, the Beck brothers. He, he's been there. Kind of, he was involved in that shootout at the beginning of season four. Like he's kind of been an ally for the Duttons right. every step along the way. So you, you know, the Duttons did lose a real key ally with the death of Sheriff Haskell. So who's going to fill that role is really, really important. Um, if it's not a friend of the Duttons, that it could un unleash some of the skeletons out of the closet. But the actual actor is named Hugh Dillon. He is the co-creator and a co-star of another Taylor Sheridan drama called Mayor of Kingstown. Mm -hmm. And I think his death was imminent because you can't be on both shows at the same time. I think he just had to pick a show. So maybe we should have all seen this coming with Mayor of Kingstown doing pretty well on Paramount Plus as, as it is. So R.I.P. Donnie Haskell. He's a good character, but... Um, you had to get going, buddy. Had to get going. And that last scene, how they ended it, oh, the heart-wrenching, where he went to call his daughter and it never, they didn't even give him a line. Yeah. So now we need a new sheriff. Toss that into the, the numerous other plot lines that need to get answered here in the next few episodes. Adding um, that to what, number 10? <laughs> you know, I have a theory on this as well. Like, this is one of the key frustrations, not only about this season of Yellowstone, but I think the Yellowstone as a whole, like, it, there's just so much going on. So many plot lines that seem to start 
and stop. But in some ways, Taylor Sheridan kind of writes the story as if he doesn't know where the story's going. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of how life is. Like when you're living in these moments, you, your life has a lot of stories that start and stop and don't ever get finished. Like, so it's kind of genuine and real to that point. Like, he knows, I think, where episode 10 is going to go when he starts Mm -hmm. writing episode 1 and 2, but he doesn't write the action in the moment as if he's trying to get there. He writes it for the moment. Right. And that's both frustrating, but I think it also adds to the the realistic nature of the show. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. (laughs) Billy, that was good. That was very profound, very much of a mic drop moment. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that. (laughs) Well, I had a lot of time to think about this on the drive from Nashville to northern Michigan. <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If there was one character that you thought was going to die before the end of the season, in the next two episodes, one character that you would bet on not making it to season five, who would that character be? I've been thinking Lloyd. Just of how they've set him up. I'm if someone's gotta go, I think it's him. Everyone else I think they've gotta hold on to. Lloyd we could get rid of. I feel I mean, I won't say Lloyd I mean, I, I also feel Lloyd, but um for the sake of you already drafted Lloyd in your Yellowstone death pool, so I will have to draft <laughs> a, a new first rounder. I do feel like there's gonna be another major death to end this se- end this season. But the more and more I, I feel like the Garrett is going to make it to season five. But I'm gonna bet on Garrett dying to close really? season four. Okay. He's my first rounder. Okay. I think they're keeping him, but... There's going to be some sort of scene where Jamie has to choose. Hmm. And I'd agree with that. I still, even though I kind of hate him, I feel like he's going to pick the right Dutton. To be determined. Do you want to talk about what's going on with Jimmy down at the Four Sixes Ranch? Absolutely. The Four Sixes Ranch, I think, is the best thing that ever happened to Jimmy. That is how I left episode eight. I just feel like Jimmy's coming into his own. Like, we are starting to see who Jimmy is. And even I was like, wow, he's smiling and different things if he seems more comfortable, which is ironic because they set up the Four Sixes Ranch like it was going to be this hellhole. And I, yeah, I I just loved seeing him. And um, specifically, I loved seeing him and Emily together. And before I, I touch on that, I just want to get your opinion on what you thought of Jimmy on the Four Sixes Ranch in this episode. Well, I'll tell you the first off, I would love someone who is truly like an expert in this cowboy ranch life to shoot us an email and maybe even come on the mm. podcast because they keep yeah. talking about how life is so difficult on these ranches. And I believe it. It's not that I don't believe what they're saying. I just haven't seen it. Like, it looks hard, but it doesn't look like brutally hard. I can imagine right. a more difficult scenario. But Jimmy, an email is staff at tasteofcountry.com if you know that person or if you are that person. But yeah, Jimmy has had this full transformation. This has been his transformative season. Um, he suggested, I, I think, that he might come back to the Yellowstone Ranch by the end of this season. So I'm kind of looking for that. 
But I I thought those scenes with him and me and Emily, the Emily relationship just feels really natural and, and easy. Like they're fun together. Like I, I, he immediately was honest with her and she was accepting of like how he served a couple of terms in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, like he his confidence is at the point where he can kind of, I don't know, he's a much more enjoyable character to watch now. And she's a, a much more... And she's the girlfriend you root for. When your friend has this girlfriend that you hate and then he finally dumps her and, and, and goes out with the girl that you root for, like that's who it is. It, it feels like true love. Yeah, I completely agree. I left feeling like they were very compatible and almost, you you know, at dinner where he was sharing, you know, he's gone to jail and stuff like that. It's I think it's cool because that I think is fostered by Emily of like her demeanor and stuff kind of brings Jimmy's walls down. Um, and you kind of see him acting like this little, this little boy of almost, you know, nervous around her. And yeah, I just, I just left thinking like, man, this is a really good pairing. And like you said, their chemistry is really great. And I just never felt that with him and Mia. There was always just this, a little bit of love tension, if you will, um, or drama that I was like, man, it just, something just not clicking and it's just seems like it's too hard um where emily is just like i said it's just easy well the thing with mia too is she kind of forced himself on jimmy a little not that jimmy wasn't willing but they never even really went out on a date like right really uh they were flirting and agreed to go out on a date but then jimmy gets hurt on the horse and ends up in the hospital and mia just sort of steps up and agrees to sort of take care of him and mm-hmm. um and then his his caretaker like so Jimmy never really had a say, so to speak. Right. But she just sort of shows up and, and move, asserts herself. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. at least this time, Jimmy had the chance to uh, court Emily a, a little bit more officially, which was nice. You know what You know what I'm looking forward to? When Mia shows up at the Four Sixes Ranch and Jimmy has to deal with two women now. What's going to happen? I don't know. But I'm excited for that drama. <laughs> Are we ready for fan questions? Yes. Hit me. How many we got this week? We have three on the docket. And I have one for you. Oh, no. Should we start there? Which which way should we go, Billy? <laughs> we can. All right. Okay. You want yours first, Addison? I do. I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> well, it, it, I wouldn't be too nervous. Um, okay. This, a, an emailer named Jared wrote a great email with a number of strong points and ideas. Uh, okay. And, and I sort of ingest a lot of the comments and things people say via email into sort of developing theories and, and weighing them against each other. And those mm-hmm. are really valuable. So even if I'm not responding, I'm, I'm seeing your comments and appreciating the conversation. But Jared had a great email and it ends with, Addison, it pains me to have to disagree with a fellow Texan this strongly. For oh, no. the longest time, I never understood the Jamie hate he handled the pregnancy poorly, and I understand Beth's anger. Truth is, they both acted out of fear. As Beth has said before, she lets fear get her twice, and it cost her her mother and the ability to have kids. She carries uh-huh. a lot of guilt, and Jamie gets burnt of that unfairly at times. However, Jamie has repeatedly fought hard for the Duttons. But that's not the reason John and Beth have turned on him. It began with the meeting that occurred during episode 10 of season 3. Jamie publicly challenged Beth as executor of the trust and was willing to sell the ranch which was him publicly defying John's wishes. Jamie did a good job of cleaning up the mess after the hits, but to never go visit or make an effort to check on anyone in person after months is hard to understand. 
John has to know that Garrett is a part of Jamie's life currently. He is anti-Jamie to your pro-Jamie. Um, well, Jared, it's okay that you disagree with me, but I, I, I'm still, I'm still pro, pro-Jamie. You're hanging in there with him. I'm, I'm hanging in there with him. I, I do still think there's, I mean, to, to your point of, I think at the end of the, the day, he is eventually going to drop Garrett, who I am not fond of at all. I think he is manipulative. And not to say, not to say that Jamie is not, and not to say that, um, John isn't, but Garrett right now, ah, yeah. I'm, I'm still pro Jamie. I still just see a glimmer of hope in him of that he's going to, after becoming a father overnight, essentially, and just everything else, I still, still think that he's going to be the character that turns. He lost me even further this episode, and we didn't talk about Jamie too, too much um, previously, but I feel like he chose his side and he threw down the gauntlet in this episode when he decided to run for governor against his dad and believing he could win. Um, Garrett and Christina give him a pep talk. They believe, they get him to believe that John Dutton is bluffing and doesn't actually want to be governor. And I think they are running Jamie right into uh, a wood chipper because I think he's going to end up getting killed or hurt uh, or, or something along those lines. But he made his choice, I feel like. This episode, there ain't no coming back. Yeah, he he did make his choice, and I do I do think that this is just setting him up for failure. However, I do I cannot believe I am I am like being an advocate for him, but because I would have never said that in the beginning. But I do think a lot of it is out of hurt. Of I said this too. Of you were excited, you're like, oh yeah, I'm so glad John. You know, kind of had that moment of haha. You know, stick it to you. I'm running. I felt bad for Jimmy because I was like, man. I mean, Jimmy, uh, Jamie. There's too many J's here. Uh, Jamie, because I was like, man, this guy who, you know, is a father figure in his life just kind of trampled him. So I think that there's a little bit of hurt there of like, Mm -hmm. well, forget you. Yeah, I'm going to run. And the people who technically allegedly are on my side right now, Christina and Garrett are for me. And they're telling me, you know, encouraging me in a certain way. They're on my team. I'll say, okay, I'll follow them. I don't know. I think this has <laughs> this is much more deep of, I think it's just a lot of hurt deep, deep down. But Yellowstone also might not be getting that deep and I might just be rabbit holing over here. So to Jared's point, he <laughs> might have a point and I might be going way too emotionally in depth to this. <laughs> possibly, possibly. All right, go ahead. What do you got for me this week? From HR Holm. He says, why isn't the COVID pandemic addressed? No one, wear ma- no one wears masks, not even the slightest mention of how the situation affects a ranch or characters or even of, his, of its existence. I'm good with this decision. Like, I think, I think he's right. They haven't addressed it at all. But I think by and large shows that have relied on COVID or had kind of forced it as part of the narrative – have really lost me. There's an NBC show called New Amsterdam that I tried to watch, and and mm-hmm. I just I'm living it already. You know, if I'm going to watch a television show, I don't necessarily need to see it. And I thought early on maybe we'd get a lot of country songs too that at least spoke to where we are in life, and I was totally wrong there. And I'm glad yeah. about that. Like I don't need my yeah. my, my um, entertainment dalliances to also be heavy with COVID talk. So I think it was just a decision maybe made by yeah. Taylor Sheridan that like, Hey, 
We don't need to address this. We got enough yeah. trauma going on in this yeah. show. We don't need to add a pandemic. Okay, question two from Jamie. Every season, the wolf shows up for Casey. There is some sort of significance with it. Billy, I'm still personally confused with the wolf, so I don't have much here. That was an odd scene. Um, Jamie's on his porch. He sees a wolf. He calls up Mo, and Mo tells him there's not supposed to be any wolves, but to not shoot the wolf because it's a test, and he has to talk mm-hmm. to Rainwater about it. Uh, the wolf did show up in season three quite a bit. Um, oddly, it, it kept on showing up when Casey and Monica were like, um, they were outdoors camping a lot and they would find themselves together and alone and they'd lay down in the woods together and the wolf would watch them um, make love. It was kind of an odd, <laughs> an odd wolf thing to do, but the wolf did uh-huh. that. Uh, a voyeuristic wolf out there somewhere. But... <laughs> I don't remember the wolf showing up in seasons one or two, but maybe it did. Uh, is it a parable? Like someone mentioned that maybe it means like the wolf's at the door sort of thing. Um, like I just, I, that's the best I can do with it is it's yeah. symbolic of something. Yeah, I'd assume so. But I did think it's odd. I'm like, where does this wolf keep coming from? Um, and why? Yeah. Why don't shoot it? Because it's yeah. a test. Our last one, if you are ready for it, um, from Amanda, it's a prediction that Garrett and John are brothers. When John took his dad up to the mountain, the father said this was for him and his, quote, brother. That was from the season three, the final episode of season three. At the very beginning of that episode, we see the flashback sequence of um, the younger John Dutton. Um, and he's with his father on the, on the mountain. And that's where that's the death scene of the father. The father ends up dying. Chris Stapleton's song, Daddy Doesn't Pray is playing. It's an emotional scene to sort of start that episode. Um, but he does say that this is all for him and his brother. And to that point, and since, we have not had reference of any John Dutton brother. Um, I think a lot of people believe that Garrett is somehow closer to John than John has shared. Be, be it a, possibly his late wife's brother or um, late wife's brother-in-law. A John Garrett brother relationship. I'll get down with that. I mean, that'd be a, that'd be a really cool twist. Yeah. That I hadn't really given too much thought of, but um, it's a, a plausible prediction or a plausible theory. You know, we, we've certainly shared more implausible theories on this podcast, so <laughs> I like true. that. <laughs> well, I will say, I'm just thinking of poor Jamie. If that is true. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just think that would do him in. Did you listen, when we talked to Jefferson White, Jefferson White said his craziest fan theory he ever heard was that Casey was really dead to start season four. Yes. And he's like, yes. oh, that theory was crazy. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Whoever had that theory was it just must have been nutso. And really, I think he he was probably talking about us. Because <laughs> so. that was you the theory like, oh. we ran with really hard for... <laughs> A couple of hours, and then we realized, oh, yeah, that probably doesn't make any sense at all. So, <laughs> I, oh, it still was one of my favorites. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> huh, funny, I think I've heard that before. Like, yeah, Jefferson, <laughs> there are some nutsos out there. <laughs> That's our favorite Yellowstone conspiracy theorist, Billy Dukes. As always, share your theories at staff at tasteofcountry.com. The conversation is half the fun. I'm Addison Hager, and next up on the Dutton Rules podcast is interviews with Cole Hauser and Piper Parabo, followed by a recap of episode 3 of 1883, starring Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. 
More cast interviews and episode recaps can be found in the archives. Tap follow and give a five-star review if you've enjoyed listening to today's breakdown of Yellowstone. Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone 1883 podcast is written by myself and Billy Dukes and produced by Billy Dukes. A sincere thanks to the thousands of listeners and the hundreds of thousands who found us on YouTube as well. There's much more to come. Dutton Rules is another great Townsquare Media podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.